0: you're in the right place. Now, here's the host of The Pleasure Zone, sensual movement artist, relationship and sex alchemist, Milica Oh well,
1: Welcome, my sweet pleasure seekers. Today, we are going to have a very important conversation all about intimacy. What is it? Why are people afraid of it? what's that all about? So we will be diving into that shortly. For those of you who are brand new to this station, I am Melissa Yelinich, and this is The Pleasure Zone, where we talk about all things about bodies, relationships, from things like all the way from traumas to kinks to history, sociology, psychology, anthropology, you name it, we dive in. And I am in the ninth season of this show. So you can, if you like the show and you're like, hey, that's interesting, you can go back and listen to well over 400 episodes. You can also watch well over probably two or 300 episodes, 200 episodes, hard to say. Uh, We started out with audio and then we kept on adding. So if you are interested in things and if you are looking through the list of different shows I have and there are things that you're looking for in particular and you can't find it, just send me a message, and I would love to be able to talk on the topic that you are looking for. How do you do that? You're going to head over to my website, milicajelenic.com. That's M-I-L-I-C-A-J-E-L-E-N-I-C.com. Send me a message. Let me know what you're interested in. Also, if you have listened to this show or any other shows, let me know what show you listened to, and if you ha- if it had any impact for you, if you learned anything, if it helped you... If you have things to add, maybe you're an expert, too, and you wanted to add some information, I would love to hear from you. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about that big question. Is it normal to be scared of intimacy? And I love talking about these topics because my field of expertise is working with people in the I work holistically with people for their health, and one of the things that often comes up as part of the holistic approach to health is looking at people's way of having relationship with others, but also with themselves and their bodies. So intimacy is big for me in the work that I do, and intimacy is also big as I'm also a sex and intimacy coach. So all of this work leads to the big question of how... You know, if we are scared of intimacy, how that affects our lives? What can that do? Why do we have that? What's going on? So, in my practice, one of the questions that I do get from people is, you know, kind of on the side, <laughs> quietly, people are like, "Is it normal to be scared of intimacy?" And intimacy, in this case, is the broad, uh, the broad term. Now, uh, the broad term of relationship and being close to somebody—that is the intimacy. Now, if you think of the word intimacy, it sounds phonetically like into me see, seeing into yourself. It's kind of a, an interesting phonetic uh, experience with the word. It, that is not actually the etymology of the word, but it does have a fun sound and feeling with that. So when we look at being scared of intimacy, it doesn't necessarily mean scared of having um, sexual, like any kind of uh, sexual intercourse or anything like that. It it has to do with being close to somebody. You know, you might have fear of intimacy, but you actually really like to have sex. That is kind of a separate situation. So in this case, when we're looking at intimacy is how close are we willing to be to our own selves first and to another person. And is it normal to be scared of being close to yourself and close to another person? So in this case, normal is kind of a very subjective word. So when we look at intimacy and what could cause fear of intimacy, there are some things that I would not consider normal. Like I don't consider child sexual abuse normal, but that is something that leads to a fear of intimacy or Uh, abandonment or death or any of the things that can lead to a fear of intimacy they're not they're not normal experiences they are common but they certainly don't make people feel normal so to me when we use that word normal is do you feel okay with yourself and a lot of times these experiences that lead to not feeling normal are very much experiences that are, you know, highly highly traumatic and also highly common. So with some people having a fear of intimacy because of different traumas at different stages in their life, uh, the question is, is it normal to be traumatized? No, but it is incredibly common. So we're going to look briefly at some different things that can impact why we have a fear of intimacy. There are experts on on, uh, certain, um, there's a certain way of looking at relationships that are attachment styles, and there is a lot of information out there if you look at attachment styles, and we might even have a little time to look at attachment styles in this um, episode as well, but the target is to look at how abuse and trauma from trauma that could be physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, how that might affect your intimacy and your choice of having intimacy or not having intimacy. The lack of bonding in early childhood, which is part of the attachment styles work. So we'll see how much we can dive into that. Separation anxiety, which also has a little bit to do with uh, the idea of uh, the different styles of bonding. Fear of being dominated. Low self-esteem is another one, which can often come from the different ways when you're raised how you were taught to be with yourself and around others and then primal trust i know that word sounds really cool and i like really like that term i came across it recently um as being coined as primal trust but it is something that i think when you hear it you're like primal trust just makes sense as it is the trust that we have in ourselves that we will both survive and be able to not just be survivors, but thrivers. So it's all the things that we might, you know, if you have a fear and you're walking around all the time, like, I don't know if I can do this. And you have that fear every day, you might not have that primal trust, that trust in that you will survive and you will thrive. And these are all things you can develop for sure over time. And sometimes you might think you don't have it, but then if you look, you can find evidence that you actually do trust and you do have primal trust so we will look at some of those things and yes there are other people who talk about primal trust in other ways so not everybody who talks about primal trust will be referring to it in the way that i'm referring to it tonight uh, so and you know you might have a different feeling about what is primal trust so feel free to go with whatever is true for you so let's look at why maybe trauma would have an impact on why you might be scared of intimacy. Let's create a scenario here. So here you are, uh maybe a three or four year old child and you are, you know, playing playing around and maybe you maybe you break something in the house, you know, and you didn't break it on purpose. Maybe a glass, like that happens, it's really calm. You break a, a you know drinking glass on the floor. It's all cracked and broken and you're scared. And you might not even know, you might not have even seen a glass broken before. And so you're standing there and you might just be curious at first, but then when you know, you know when somebody comes in like an adult or somebody comes in and sees this broken glass, you might get spanked for breaking the glass. Now that would be a physical trauma. And it might be a little shocking that you didn't even know it was a problem to have the glass break. It's not like a baby would instinctively know Breaking glass would upset somebody, and the reaction whether it's uh, you know, the levels of reaction to can indicate how, how stressed a person is as well. If you're having a reaction that's like life or death reaction to a broken glass, then you need to kind of take a moment, sit back, and check yourself about what's going on with you that has you react so extremely to such a sort of we could call it insignificant. And not as significant scenario. I mean, if the glass was you know handed down for 500 generations and it's worth $35,000, yes, you may feel upset. If it's that glass from the dollar store and you put $1.25 into it and you're making an average income of $50,000 a year and you can easily replace that glass, it might not be so angering to you. So, I mean, I remember as a kid not drinking milk and being like, yelled at right like and it's that that it wasn't i know that my parents were incredibly stressed my parents were also separate separated they separated when i was four so for me to have the experience of two parents in two different homes with two different parenting styles um never really knowing how to like gauge you know how do i act with this parent how do i act with this parent it was very different in both homes and the reaction to a, uh, not drinking milk in one home was very different to a reaction of not drinking milk in another home and you didn't really know what, uh what ever you know what the reactions were going to be so it was um, tricky to navigate. And it actually took me a really long time to be able to develop an attachment style that didn't just involve me running away, avoidant, and getting more into a secure attachment style. So these are things that even though we have them, they can, over time, we can adapt and change and choose differently. And attachment styles in general, they just play a role in the way we approach and experience all kinds of intimacy whether it's the conversation or whether it's sex itself. So a lot of times when it comes to sex as that that aspect of intimacy, people who have secure attachment styles can find their sex life quite fulfilling, where insecure attachment styles, where people are anxious and preoccupied or dismissive and avoidant or even disorganized, they can have less satisfactory sex. They might have more casual sex, and but less satisfactory sex so secure attachment styles can really be helpful in having a more satisfying sex life so all the more reason to work towards feeling secure where in yourself first and then you can bring it into your relationship this is not something that necessarily happens overnight in fact if you do have radical shifts which is cool when you can have some radical shifts but as long as they're sustainable so it's something that If you do uh, create a change, that you have a sustainable change where when, you know, you might have like an aha moment, then you go, oh, okay, I had that change. And that's really comfortable. I really like that. I can keep choosing into this. I can feel more secure. I can, oh, excellent. I feel more secure. And it's on a daily basis. Then it's sustainable. Otherwise, it can be like a, um, just like a a pop chart moment. You know, you get it fast, you go through it, and then you're like, well, that's done, and next. Um, It's not a sustainable change. Like, I don't know why I said Pop-Tarts, but I was watching a movie, I was watching The Sixth Sense last night, (laughs) and the kid wanted Pop-Tarts, and that's probably why I'm thinking about Pop-Tarts. And in, in the movie, actually, The Sixth Sense, you can actually see how, as the child develops more of a secure attachment with um, the main character, Bruce Willis' character, as he gets more connected to that character, the more secure he feels and the more he's able to articulate uh, with his words, what's going on and to be able to deal with the things that scare him, his relationship with his mother also changes. And then he feels starts to feel more secure by the end of the movie. He feels more confident and secure. So we do know that this is possible to change these things. So, why would why would we change them? Why not? If we can if we can change these things and let our bodies let go of the trauma that have caused these different attachment styles, we can let go of the trauma that has us feel insecure or avoidant or any of that. and it could lead to a better relationship. Would you not look at the ways to be able to do that? And would you not choose to be able to step into that? And maybe you wouldn't, maybe you're like, it's not worth the effort. I like being avoidant and it's my thing. I'm turned on by being avoidant. Cool. But if you, if you aren't turned on by it and you know, somewhere in your heart, you're like, I know I'm avoidant. And at the same time, I would like to have A, B, C, and D. How do I reconcile these things that are very opposition to each other, very much in opposition to each other. So there are ways to do that. So we will talk more about these different reasons why we might be scared of intimacy and some ideas on how to start to move forward. So we'll talk about that when we come back from this commercial break. You're listening to The Pleasure Zone here on Inspired Choices Network and we'll be right back after this commercial.
0: Are you secretly a voyeur wondering what's going on in other people's sex lives? What if now is the time for a totally different sexual evolution? Listen for The Pleasure Zone with Milica every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? This is The Pleasure Zone with sensual movement artist Melitza Yelenich. To participate in the program today, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email, info at Now, back to the program. Welcome back, my sweet, sweet pleasure seeker. So just before break,
1: I kind of tapped into some words that might be maybe they're not familiar for all the listeners. And I was talking about the attachment styles and how different attachment styles can have an impact on how we relate with intimacy and how you might have fear of intimacy and where that might come from. And, you know, whether there's been abuse or neglect or anything like that. So some of the things to look at for yourself are, you know, when you were little, Did adults respond to you quite quickly, sensitively, consistently with, you know, I'll give you an example in in our house right now. So my kid is 15. And as a baby, there was uh, I was very consistent with when Ziva cried, I would go and hold Ziva. And it was as quick as I could get there. So whether it was quick to their awareness or not, um, it was like as fast as I could get there. If I was on the toilet going to pee, I was going to get there and be there for them. Hold them, do whatever I needed to do. Um, You know, whether it was move them or any, whatever it was, I would check on all the things. So part of that can help create a sort of sense of security. Now, at some point, too, if other people don't respond and only the mother does respond. Now, this is only my theory because I'm looking at my own life. That I was the one, the main person responding to crying was that there is a secure attachment to me. However, Ziva doesn't have a secure attachment to other people. So there can be there are a very few handful of people that there's a secure attachment. so for me my mother was not quick to respond um my mom was distant my mom was often disengaged so my mom had an avoidant attachment style um so for me growing up what i started to believe was that probably my needs won't be met and then how does that play out in relationship? So how that plays out in relationship later on is that I'll be in a real, I could be in a relationship and not feel like I can ask for what I require because I have a subconscious belief that no matter what I ask for, I'm not going to have it delivered anyway. It doesn't matter why I ask for it because nobody's going to give me what I want. And that belief translated not only to people, it translated to like my ability to manifest, to actualize, to create in my life, because I had this subconscious belief that, well, if my needs can't be met, then you know, it then it's then who's gonna wanna be my client? Who's gonna like so this went on for a number of years? It was there was this subconscious thing like nagging that was like, well, you probably aren't gonna succeed, right? And so my mom also had a little bit of, between avoid and attachment, there was also a little bit of ambivalent. So you'll probably find when you go to do your own research on attachment styles, there's a lot of different words and combinations out there of different words. So I'm just going to work with the, the four that I'm familiar with. So secure, avoid and attach, so secure attachment, avoid and attachment, ambivalent attachment, and disorganized attachment. So there are different names for those, but I'm just going to stick with those for today. So let's look at if you were a child and you had broken um, broken that cup and out of nowhere the parent comes in and, you know, spanks you, that response is an extreme and erratic response. So what that would do would have... If you were the kid who broke that glass and your parent came in and spanked you and you didn't even know why, because the glass just fell out of your hand and you never broke a glass before, so you didn't know what happened and you didn't know they would be upset about it. And instead of explaining things to you going, hey, that glass is something that, you know, I had to work for and I paid for that and we need this to drink out of and it helps me drink easier because I need water to live you know you can you can actually be pretty reasonable with kids when they have language and they understand survival needs you can explain things in pretty simple ways and they will get it and you can show them you know so everybody learns in different ways some people need to be spoken to some people need to read it some people need demonstrations so you could show them you know an option instead of yelling at the person and being erratic would be to show them hey so you know when you broke my glass, it was like this. It was like if if I took your toy and threw it down the toilet, and you never got to have it again, how would you feel? Now, depending on some some kids actually have uh, they're they're so um, disconnected that they actually don't have a feeling to any of that, and they can be quite ambivalent, like ah, it doesn't matter. Uh, and they don't even care because they don't even believe that their needs will ever be met anyway. So you might as well, you want to take my stuff and destroy it, whatever. I don't even think I'll ever have anything I need, right? So there is, there is, um, there is a lot of stuff that can happen. Now, there are stats out there about how many people in the world have certain attachment styles. I don't think the stats are accurate because there is, i mean these stats are just based on a small number of people who are being interviewed and a lot of the times people who are being interviewed are would fall under certain categories of attachment style because they're looking for resolutions and they're looking to create some certain changes um they wouldn't be avoidant right they would probably be looking uh they'd probably be more secure in some things, but not maybe not in all things. So you can have combinations of these as well. And, you know, you could be secure, or you could be insecure, you could be uh, very responsive, highly responsive, or highly avoidant. Anyway, there's all these combinations. So we're starting with these, these four main ones. And how they can affect the way that you are intimate. So if you If you have been feeling your whole life like nobody's going to respond to you, would you choose to be in a relationship? Would you choose to break down your barriers, let down your guard and let somebody in? Or would you just put up your guard and go, yeah, you know what? Can't even like deal with you because you're probably not even going to meet my needs anyway. I can try and I can try, but you're probably not going to meet my needs anyway. And if a person can't rely on you meeting their needs, so as an adult, if, if you feel like people are like, I can't rely on you to meet my needs, then, then there's something that you're showing them that you're being inconsistent or sometimes being like overly sensitive or sometimes being neglectful, not even knowing or paying attention. So if there's these things like inconsistency, insensitivity or overly sensitive or any of that going on, Then your partner or your potential partner, you know, if you're in a relationship with a person who's trying intimacy, but they have, you know, fear of intimacy, they are not going to be able to rely on you to have their needs met. So consistency for somebody who has an ambivalent ambivalent attachment, it's really important to show them consistency, consistency, consistency. So for me, who had a mom who was quite ambivalent, having a partner who's not only consistent is completely predictable is so helpful for me. And it actually helps me feel really secure. Some people would need, uh, I'm much more spontaneous, (laughs) much more maybe inconsistent would be the word. Um, And my partner is much more consistent. So say for example, if I want to go somewhere and I'm like, Hey, I'm going here. Do you want to come with me, Mike? And Mike's like, and it's like in a day or two and Mike will go, yeah, sure. I'll come with you. I, I know that consistently that probably 90 out of hundred times, Mike will cancel. And I can actually rest assured, no that he'll probably cancel. It's more surprising to me when he's not consistent in canceling and that he, he shows up. So it's funny because I can actually rely on that. I can rely on that about him, and it's not about it's not about him trying to meet my needs of going out. It's that I can rely on the fact that I know him and I know his consistencies, and that is having a need met for me. So it's not that he's uh, fulfilling uh, like I have a hole somewhere that needs to be filled, but he's showing me consistency in the way that he acts and behaves. And I can count on that, which is awesome. So if you happen to be in a relationship with somebody and you're like, hey, feel like you're like really ambivalent and don't care about stuff or you're inconsistent and like super sensitive and maybe you, you don't even, you don't seem to care. If they've been doing that consistently, can, if they've been doing that like all the time, that's a consistency that you can like rely on, if you know what I mean. So the more you can rely on certain behaviors, the more you can actually rely on trusting yourself to know what that person may or may not do. And it doesn't mean that you're in, you know, that you should become a doormat and like let somebody walk all over you because you can rely on that they're, Oh, you're never going to show up. If it matters to you that they show up, then you need to have the conversation that it matters to you. Does it matter to me if my husband goes grocery shopping with me? No. If it did, I would say to him, you know what? Um, this is something I'd really like to do together. I'd like us to be able to go out, find some deals. If you can help me carry stuff, if you can do A, B, C, and D. That would be super helpful. It's not my most fun jo- and, you know, job in the world, so can you do it with me? So I will, you know, if if I do need somebody to go grocery shopping with me and my husband doesn't want to, I will call other people. I know that I can count on that I could – ask my kid, ask my mother, ask somebody else in the neighborhood, hey, do you want to go with me? So so, uh, for me, I know that I'm much more productive when I do things with other people. Um, I like attachment and I like collaboration and co-creation. So I've grown to really like intimacy where when I was a kid, I didn't really understand relationships with anybody at all. I didn't get how people loved each other when people would say I love you I was like what does that even mean um I guess I love you because you said you love me so even growing up as a teenager it was like if somebody said they loved me I was like well I guess I love you too because I don't know what is love and I might even say it first to see like if I said I love you I might say it and go I love you just to see how they would react to see and it wasn't like a trick it was like so I say I love you and you say I love you then what is this feeling like what are we experiencing like what is love has me has still the love thing still has me baffled to this day still like really tapping in to figure out what is love And yes there are the five love languages which was amazingly helpful in learning about love and there are different theories on love and like the Greeks have the four kinds of love or three or four kinds of love so Having these things can be super helpful. Having information to learn about ourselves can be helpful. Knowing different attachment styles can be helpful. And being able to figure out what your fear of intimacy is, where did it come from? Was it because you were randomly hit by, you know, a parent and you're like, I don't know why. Every everything I did, it was inconsistent. You know, one day I put away my shoes this way and it was fine. The next day I put them away. And my mom slapped me for it. My mom didn't slap me for that. (laughs) My mom was ambivalent in other ways. And she was highly stressed. So her anxiety was high. She was insecure financially. We were insecure about a lot of things as a household. And there was an undercurrent of anger. And my dad had a lot of that going on too. So collectively, we were like a pile of mess. And so for me, learning attachment, Uh, what was true for me was that I needed to do a lot of work on myself in order to have secure attachment in my relationship and you know 10 years in I feel like I'm still working on it like I don't think this is something that just ends and you have your certificate of I am securely attached and it's something that we can always work on and have consistency in that all right, we're going to head to our next commercial break. You're listening to The Pleasure Zone here on Inspired Choices Network, and we'll be right back after this commercial.
0: Are you secretly a voyeur, wondering what's going on in other people's sex lives? What if now is the time for a totally different sexual evolution? Are you interested in people who are pioneers of different sexual and pleasurable practices? Lean in now with Melitza Jelanić where she will entice you and your body to know your own pleasure zone. On the Pleasure Zone radio show with sensual movement artist Milica Yelenich, you you'll receive tools, inspiration, and a foundation to allow yourself to receive more in your sex life and quite possibly other areas of your life as well. Listen for the Pleasure Zone with Milica every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com
1: Interested in masturbating for money, copulating for consciousness, and pleasuring on purpose? 21 Days of Sexual Magicism with sensual movement artist Milica Ellenich is an exploration of tools, processes, and actions that you can use to create more for your life, your body, your money inflows, and so much more. Graduated learning for all levels of interest. Learn at your own pace via video classes or join the yearly live class. Take a peek at www.MalitsaJelanić.com.
0: How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? or google play store this is the pleasure zone with sensual movement artist Milica Yelenich. to participate in the program today join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com you can also make the choice to ask or comment by email info at now back to the program
1: welcome back my sweet pleasure seekers we are talking about all kinds of things to do with intimacy and in this show i in the show description there is a word called primal trust i just want to let you guys know that 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 term is actually trademarked so i do want to recognize that i think that you know we we trademark a lot of things on this planet but there's an essence and an energy about that term that's um just very tr- true and real about having that primal instinctual we could call it instinctual instead if we want to really refer to it on the show not get um fine uh, <laughs> we'll call it instinctual uh innate yeah trust so where does it come from and how do we how do we do how do we get to a place of trust when we've been in relationships that are confusing so a lot of getting to the place of trust is is getting into a a place of getting a new kind of like a new memory set happening in your brain creating a new dialogue that happens in your head rewiring your brain so that you can actually have So the idea is that if you have new thoughts, they create new neurons. And those new neurons, when they fire together, they wire together, which means that you'll create new neural pathways. So having new stories, we'll say, to tell yourself, you can actually create and train your brain to feel more secure, to feel happier, and to have trust. If you keep telling yourself the same old story, I will be abandoned, this will happen, then then those old neural pathways are firing all the time creating that connection and telling you that you are going to be abandoned and be alone and blah, blah, blah. However, if you read, if you rewrite that story, rewire your brain and get new neural connections, you can start to have things like I, uh, one of the, one of the bodies of work I like working with is called the mastery systems. And one of the things you do is reframing. And one of the reframes would be, uh, I, I trust me. I trust the God in me. I trust the universal life force in me, whatever term you want to use for something greater than you. I trust that in me. I trust me. I trust God. I trust the God in me. So you can play with some things to start to reframe. And that gets you kind of into a mode where you go, oh, wait a second. I'm allowed to do that. I'm allowed to trust. I don't have to live in fear and I don't have to live in anxiety for the rest of my life. What? So that's a really fun thing to do. So there are a lot of different bodies of work that can help you reframe your brain from EFT tapping, uh, EMDR. There are different somatic breath work techniques you can use. There's play work you can do. If you have never read Uh, there's a a book called, uh, let me just think of this for a second, The Body Keeps the Score. Can't remember the author right now, but The Body Keeps the Score is, it is kind of like listening to scholarly letters on trauma uh, and because there's a lot of research in the book. And some people find it dry. I find it fascinating. Uh, I love listening to the research. I actually have it on audio because I prefer, and I'm an audio learner, not everybody is, Uh, so when I listen to it I can retain the information better but if you're somebody who likes to read then absolutely read away uh, and then you will be able to retain that information for you and sometimes it's like watching videos on it will help you figure that out as well so why do we want to change the trauma like what's the benefit of changing the trauma is so that you no longer have a fear of intimacy and the fear of intimacy can even be a fear of, you know, oh my God, I'm afraid to know who I am. What if, what if all these people who had abused me in my life, you know, whatever people who were, you know, in in my sphere of reality who were abusive, what if I was like them? And if I was, if I'm like them, as long as I hide that, it won't come out. But if I start to get intimate with myself and I start to see those things, oh, what's going to happen? Am I going to hate myself? And then you start to realize, oh, my God, um, I I actually already don't like myself because I'm not even willing to see myself. So, eh, you know, we're cute and we have these, like, tendencies to avoid things until it's, uh, like, the brink of necessity to change them. And then we start to change them so oh yeah so why do we why do we change through the traumas and the traumas can be happening in different ways and create uh different responses you know later on in the way that you have relationships so let's throw a few out there just so you can be aware so the four attachment styles we're going to just go through them what traumas may have occurred and how because of those traumas what you might be experiencing in your life with secure attachment there isn't a lot of necessarily trauma that happens in your life you'll you'll feel you know generally the child will be somebody who is secure explorative and happy and generally the mother or the primary caregiver is quick to respond sensitive and consistent and generally when the child grows up to an adult they they have belief and trust that their needs will be met And then you might have avoidant attachment, where as a child, you might not be very explorative. You might be one of those kids who you just kind of sit and stare at things. And a lot of times, what's interesting is that people find kids who have secure attachment, who are super explorative, they find them like nuisances, like, oh, they're running around, they're doing everything, they're in the way, blah, blah, blah. Can't you just sit, blah, blah, blah? But they're actually so secure and they feel secure in their environment that they can do that and that they'll be safe and there's avoidant attachment where the child is generally not very explorative and can be super emotionally distant like emotionally distant to everyone including the primary caregivers and when they're not very explorative they aren't the kind of kids who are are feeling safe about doing anything that could be you know make a mess or do anything like that so they become very at this point what happens is the parent's response to the child so the child's not very explorative it's just the kid just sits there and then the parent is being distant and disengaged so it's one of those things where the here's a scenario is like a kid is sitting on their laptop all day long and the parents are sitting on their own laptops being totally disengaged And so nobody's even discussing or even maybe even in the same room with each other. And so what happens when you grow up is that you start to subconsciously believe that your needs probably won't be met. So even though that sounds like, oh, big deal, there's just two people sitting in rooms, it's like neglect, right? So you feel neglected. You won't feel when you grow up that your needs will be met. The ambivalent attachment is where you've got You know, generally kids will be anxious or insecure or even angry as a child is like constant anger coming out, uh, insecure, looking for like a lot of feedback or having somebody tell them that they're good all the time and anxious to the point where everything can create fear in them. So the mother or the primary caregiver's response to a child who is anxious, insecure and angry is that they're usually inconsistent with the way they react to the child. So if a child is anxious, one day they might be supportive, and the next day they might just go, what's wrong with you? Oh, you're driving me crazy. In uh, the sixth sense, the mother's quite ambivalent. She's inconsistent. She can be overly sensitive, and she can also be neglectful of the kid. So you can watch that sixth sense and see what that kid's going through he's highly anxious he's insecure and he's angry so it's really interesting to watch and you can watch shows and just see how what kind of attachment styles people have and you can kind of relate to them yourself so with the ambivalent attachment if that doesn't get switched up or if you don't change to where you're insecure you you'll feel in your life you can feel like you can't rely on your needs ever being met so just like avoid an attachment, you don't feel like your needs, you don't feel like your needs will be met. It's subconscious. So you might act in ways that you don't even realize that you're avoiding it. It's like sabota- self-sabotage, but not aware of it. Ambivalent attachment is like, they're kind of aware of it. They're like, well, I already know things won't be met. So who cares? Whatever. And then there's disorganized attachment where with a child, they're usually depressed, angry. Um, totally passive so somebody yells at them they're just like yeah okay and non-responsive so they might not even respond they might be like cut off and distant and not being able to respond so what often is the the mother's um, or the primary caregiver's reaction to a child who is constantly in the state of depression anger being passive and non-responsive is that the primary caregiver might have extreme reactions, erratic reactions. You can't, you know, you have no idea, you know, that, that, um, term walking on eggshells. It's like, you never know what the person's going to be or do, or who's showing up. It can feel like you're living with somebody who's bipolar. Cause you're like, ah, what's happening. It's, it can be kind of scary. And if you are somebody who is like, you are a disorganized attachment style kind of person you might find in your relationship that you do have extreme erratic reactions you might feel frightened a lot um, and you might respond to a lot of things with more fear than some other people that you know so the disorganized attachment is one of those things that might occur when you know you just feel like you have no say so in the list here that i talked about about this show that i was things i was going to discuss one of the things i put on this list had to do with the fear of being dominated and so when you have the attachment style of a disorganized attachment style you will likely have a fear of being dominated And if you're dominated, then you might feel depressed and angry and completely without power. And so learning how to step into your power and use your voice when you have disorganized attachment and just using it in and with people, starting with the word no with disorganized attachment. Starting with no can be magic for somebody who's got that style of attachment, just so you can start standing up for yourself, getting yourself out of depression and anger because the anger is usually coming from feeling like you've been stepped all over, but you can't do anything about it, or the abuse has been so extreme and you haven't been able to do anything about it. So saying no, standing up for yourself, and then that is one of the easiest tools for disorganized attachment, I feel. And so as you grow up, one of the things that the kid, the ch- that you would as a child, you might start to feel is you might feel really confused. And you might not have any way of knowing how to ask for your needs to be met. You might be like, I, I don't even know how to say that I like this. I don't even know how to say I don't like this. I don't really know how to voice my opinion because I'm afraid that somebody's going to yell at me. Um, and I don't know if they will and I don't know if they won't because it's erratic. I can't I can't rely on, uh, on their reaction. So... It can be really confusing and you might not even feel like you know how to deal with people or how to even get your needs met so that's when the passivity comes along and some people are like oh you're so passive aggressive it's because they never had their you know their they were never responded to in a way that made sense everything was erratic yeah so being dominated can be a huge fear of uh, intimacy. So we're going to head to our next commercial. I'm just like talking my way through commercials before we head off to our commercial next week's show is, is it normal? We're going to talk about hymen variants. I know. Did you even know there were hymen variants? There are, there really are. And they're fascinating. I'll probably even have a demo for you. So <laughs> we will Come right back. You're listening to The Pleasure Zone here on Inspired Choices Network, and we'll be right back after this commercial.
0: Are you secretly a voyeur, wondering what's going on in other people's sex lives? What if now is the time for a totally different sexual evolution? Are you interested in people who are pioneers of different sexual and pleasurable practices? Lean in now with Melissa Yelenich, where she will entice you and your body to know your own Pleasure Zone. On the Pleasure Zone radio show with sensual movement artist Milica Yelenich you you'll receive tools, inspiration, and a foundation to allow yourself to receive more in your sex life, and quite possibly other areas of your life as well. Listen for the Pleasure Zone with Milica every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is the Pleasure Zone with Central Movement Artist Melitza Yelenich. To participate in the program today, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email. Info at Now, back to the program. Welcome back, my sweet, sweet pleasure
1: seekers. Today, we have been talking all about intimacy. And I know it sounds like we've been talking about attachment styles, but they actually go hand in hand. And so in this conversation about attachment styles, we've looked at the... Uh, we've looked at the, the four main ones that I worked with. So we've looked at secure attachment, avoidant attachment, ambivalent attachment and disorganized attachment. And absolutely, if you're listening to this and you've heard variations and there are combinations, like you could be avoidant and disorganized. Um, and there are other terms for, for some of these as well. So um, just know that this is just one variation, but generally the, the descriptions of the consistent states in childhood and then the responses by the primary caregiver along with the way the reason why maybe these behaviors are happening and the belief behind that like why does a kid not choose to explore well if they believe that their needs won't be met then they might not even Look around to try and create anything or do anything because it won't matter. It won't make a difference. Or why would a kid be insecure and angry? Because they actually feel scared about life and they might not survive if your needs aren't being met. You can't rely that your needs are being met. You might always be on the verge of uh, anxiety and insecurity, right? As you start to hear these, I'm sure they'll make more and more sense to you. And you can probably see them reflecting in your life and the lives of the people that you know. And if you do start to notice that, just, you know, just keep, just note it and go, oh, that's fascinating, you know, bringing it up to people and going, hey, I think you have this, this, this uh, attachment style can, if people don't even know what attachment styles are, that can just be really confusing to them. And then sometimes they'll feel like you're pointing fingers. So it's more about talking about uh, attachment styles for yourself to do a self-exploration, to have intimacy with you in order to bring it out to the world. So learning to say no is that really key one when we look at the disorganized attachment style. And then, you know, learning to ask for things and have it be okay if somebody says no to you. So, you know, that would fall under the category of the ambivalent attachment. Like, I don't even think my needs are gonna be met. Well, just for fun exploration, you can always go and ask some random stranger to hold a door open for you and if they do acknowledge it and go huh look at that I made an ask and I received that very cool <laughs> and so so and if you feel like there's no way that you're ever gonna have you know a, it's a subject subconscious belief that your needs probably won't be met you can't sometimes they are sometimes they're not with avoidant attachment you might need to experiment with those asks more often and the ceo of this uh this station inspired choices network actually has a program that is called up your ask that was put out several years ago and there as far as i know there will be something similar um, that comes out in the future that's going to be learning how to ask for things in your business uh, there'll be there'll be some stuff. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that on Inspired Choices, the show. So under secure attachment, if you believe and trust that your needs will be met, some kids start to act out and act weird. Um, That happens too, because they're just like, I can act like a bitch because it doesn't matter. I'm always going to be looked after. So when kids start to really act out and then that's been made okay then sometimes they become a little bit jerky as adults and they just think they can get away with anything but for the most part it can actually create really kind human beings so all of all the attachment styles can have some downfalls to them but it's good to know what they are and also good to know that you can they can change over time and you can actually develop ways to to uh, have different attachment styles so Join us next week for Is It Normal? Hymen Variants.
0: Thank you for listening to The Pleasure Zone with sensual movement artist Milica Yelenich. The Pleasure Zone returns next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, and 5 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. We hope you'll join us. Until then, have the best week of your life by choosing to be turned on and tuned in to your body.